0: Cast brought to you by the fire folks at face to face the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. I'm so pumped to be back. I'm so pumped to be back with our original duo, Rob Lombardi and Doug Potter. How's it going, guys?
1: That's good. What's up? The OGs are in the happy house.
0: birthday, Doug! Oh. Yes, happy birthday, yeah. everyone in the chat. Wish him a happy birthday, please.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm turning 30 right today, and I decided to spend it here on First Strike because I adore this uh, crew here. So thank you for the, for the birthday wishes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad that. I'm really happy that you're here. Um, before we invite our guest, we're, we're going to talk to Chantal Campbell about her Nahiri Breach deck that she did really well with, Top 8 at Face to Face Games Open, uh, Top 24 GP Vancouver, She's been killing it, and she was the number one uh, finisher and won the play at forward site. So we're going to be talking to her, and then we're going to be talking about lots of Marvel video vehicles, what Rob and I and, and Brian might be planning to play at GP New Jersey, and some other topics along the way as well. But before we dive into that, I just wanted to mention our Patreon, which are, I finally quietly, I mean to to Rob <laughs> Rob's happiness, quietly launched, didn't really talk too much about it on this show, but it's officially up at patreon.com slash first strike. And I'm really happy with the with the early support that I had. And what really, this really helps me do is continue the show. A lot of people might not know um, that podcast hosting is expensive. And I've been paying for it since 2010. And I needed some help. And but it's a testament to the guys that I have co-hosting this show. That I feel that it's worth continuing, that it's really worth investing in. Uh, I thank Doug, thank Rob, thank Vince, and thank Brian for sure, and Kyle at the helm, editing everything. Like these guys have made this such a great show and and super well received, and got a lot of kind words from everyone about it. So I do want that extra help to keep moving forward, and that's why we have the the, the Patreon. And I also again didn't want to just give. People donating just the same thing as people who weren't, like just the show. So the Patreon, you're going to check all the benefits. They're, I feel like they're getting a lot from uh, for their donation. And and Rob, Doug, and all these guys are answering all these questions that people have in our First Strike Nation already. That is consistently uh, growing over the past few days. So, again, guys, thank you so much for the help.
1: Yeah, I'm pumped. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be sweet having a bunch of people in this First Strike Nation, and we're so thankful for uh, for all the support. So, oh, absolutely, it.
0: it's insane. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so uh, without further ado, we're gonna bring on our guest, Chantel Campbell. How's it going? Hello,
2: hello. It's going fantastic. I'm so excited to be here. It's gonna be awesome.
0: I'm excited to have you here. So. I have, a, I have a source in, in Alberta. His name goes by uh, Jared Kashati, And he told me that uh, for, for a long time, I don't know for how long, that you've been a top ten force in modern oh, fact fiction. Know about that. Uh,
2: I Personally, I might say fiction, but if he's saying it's fact, then I guess I'll have to toot my own heart a little bit. I guess.
1: <laughs> it's fact. It's fact. It's not just in Edmonton. It's in Alberta. So... Oh, wow. I mean, Calgary doesn't have much to offer, though, but still.
2: Calgary rubbins right out of the gate. That's okay.
1: <laughs> well, she's been killing it for a long time in uh, Edmonton. Hmm.
0: So tell me, uh, can you be more specific about how long been Chantel telling it? Have you been, like, crushing just the, the modern format specifically? Uh, how long has it been that, that you've been... Playing modern, basically?
2: Uh, modern, I got into more seriously. I guess my first big, big win in modern was at the WMCQ last year. I uh, topped forward with Grishelbrand, which is an awesome deck. Uh, don't let anyone tell you differently. <laughs> and uh, since then, just been playing more and more and harder and harder decks.
0: So, have you had similar success than your recent run?
2: Uh, Top 24 at GP Van is definitely my highest finish that I've ever been able to put up, but I think it's just the start, hopefully, knock on wood.
0: (laughs) So how how did you come up with the uh, Nahiri Breach deck that that you ended up uh, piloting at at
2: both of these events? Uh, I've been playing the Red-Green Breach deck for a little bit, um, and I was looking for a way to shore up some of the harder matchups, and I felt like White just offered a lot of tools that kind of, like, Get, you're able with Nahiri in the main to like discard your through the breaches if you don't have a creature in hand and like dig to more answers, and then the sideboard you get like Rest in Peace and Stony Silence and Blessed Alliance, just these cards that are able to like really do work against matchups that might be uneventful.
0: Hmm. So you added the okay. So you added the white, and did you feel like it, it changed the uh, overall consistency? That it affected too badly.
2: Uh, it definitely, there were a couple games in Vancouver, especially that I noticed the like, you sometimes just get stuck with a sacred foundry in hand and you're like, oh, if this was a stomping ground, like we'd be golden. <laughs> it is what it is. It's a trade off you make.
0: Okay. So at GP Vancouver, the, the big deck that came out of that uh, format was everyone's talking about it now. Death shadow. Though some people have messaged me saying it's not doing as well on MTGO because maybe people have adapted. How's your deck uh, fair against the supposedly best deck in the format?
2: I think the Death Shadow that people or like the pros brew for GP Ban is a fair amount different from traditional Death Shadow. Like traditional Death Shadow was super aggressive, super all in. uh, But new Death Shadow is running Tarmagoifes and it's only running like your one of Double Strike spell, so it's a little more mid rangey. Um, the discard effects that they have definitely do a number on your hand, but you just, in the late game, have better top decks.
0: But how does your deck, uh, well how do you think your deck fares against it?
2: Uh, I think it can be super tough, but uh, in the board, especially in the Naya version, uh, Blessed Alliance is a real, it's a real house. And then also, like, uh, Rest in Pieces shut down the Tarmogoyfs, and, like, I had a game I played against Death Shadow once. I was able to win, but I got really, really lucky. Um, <laughs> where I like was able to just exile tap creatures within the Hiri and then because they only run eight threats, I think, like four Tarmogoyfes, four Death Shadows. So if you're able to answer them, you're pretty golden.
0: Robert, is that uh, argument convincing enough for you uh, about this deck?
3: Yeah, like I think that um, Chantel's build is definitely better <laughs> against. Any Death Shadow variant than like just a straight red green deck, like the the older red green variants, like a more Felix C traditional uh, red green Scape Shift deck uh, or, or Titan Shift deck, is going to be almost a buy for like Infect or Death Shadow. But uh, having like Nahiri Blessed Alliance is actually you know gives you some some reasonable outs. Um, I think it's probably still in Death Shadow's favor. I mean, I, I would definitely want to be on the Death Shadow side of the matchup. Um, even after board uh, just given that they have so much hand disruption that um, they can really get like a card that's going to annoy them out of the hand before you get a chance to play it. So like if they are able to pick mm-hmm. your Nahiri plus a Rast or a Rast plus a Blessed Alliance before you can kind of get them down on any matter and then, you know, kind of slam an early death shadow without you really, you know, having any answers to it in play. And I think they're okay, but you know, if you get a, if you're on the plane, you get a turn one chalice for one. It makes it real annoying. They can't do anything on turn one. They have to wait till turn two. Hope they have an abrupt decay, and then kind of go with their game plan from there. And then you're probably already doing powerful stuff. So I'd probably, I guess, I'd be mulling pretty hard to chalice. <laughs> I'm not sure if you did that or not, <laughs> but uh, that seems to be the the game plan against the Death Shadow deck, anyways.
2: No, oh, definitely, definitely agree. <laughs> um, so moving forward,
0: forward would you? feel really good about, like, an upcoming tournament with this deck, Chantal?
2: Yeah, I, I would definitely consider playing it going forward. Um, personally, I like to look, really know my decks inside and out. So I feel like this deck I've just been able to learn all the ins and outs of, and I can really take advantage of that, I guess, format.
0: <laughs> Were there any changes that you've been considering in the past little while?
2: Um. It's hard to say. I think it really depends on what the format's going to do after this, like what the shifts are going to be after this Death's Shadow is solved in the format, basically. So I, I'm just going to be playing it by ear.
0: Okay. Um, and you ended up you, – you finished a 24 if you were like, – Against Jennifer for the, the Play It Forward prize. And according to your article, and if you check the uh, coverage for, for the event, both of you were like neck and neck until the very oh, yeah. last round.
2: The whole way. We both went 12 3. Um, I ended with slightly better breakers because I went undefeated on day two and she went like 5 1. So she finished at 28th, which is just like, it's insane. <laughs>
0: Uh, can you tell us a bit about Play It Forward? Like how did you discover this little mini contest within the within the GP?
2: Oh, for sure. Uh being a female magic player, you have a lot of like little female only like safe space groups where women can talk out like plans to attend events or like if you're looking for another girl to room with or while you're planning on playing. And uh one of those places had a lady named Simone who's the founder play it, one of the founders of Play It Forward and uh, she said for GP Denver that she was going to give the top performing female non-binary player a, a flight and you were in North America and Jen Crops actually ended up being the top female player and got the flight and since then it's kind of like spiraled into this like more and more people want to help out and more and more people want to see women doing well in competitive magic so they're getting pros to donate their time and people are donating like I, as the top female player, I got like uh, my next tournament covered, and like a pack of revised, and like uh, mentorship with Jacob Wilson. So, I uh, yeah, been, they've just been great. They're an amazing organization.
0: Hmm. Like Jen Cross had already won once.
2: <laughs> it was before it was like the official like play it forward, but yeah, she's she's been crushing it. She was gonna be two time champ.
0: That's insane.
1: Alberta strong, man. She's a Calgary player. Yeah. No, it's such a cool it's such a cool initiative. And I remember first reading about it uh with of course Jennifer was talking about it in our forums uh when she had the opportunity of going and, and taking it down. And I think these type of initiatives there was some big discourse that was going back and forth then I know Jennifer and Chantal weighed in a little bit on it, but with a lot of people not understanding why uh, an initiative like this is important and why it's important to um, just recognize that playing this game is different for all sorts of people. Uh, The barrier to entry is different for, uh, for different individuals if they feel like they're not going to be welcomed or that they're going to get inappropriate comments made to them and things like that. And I like that we, as a culture of gamers are starting to, uh, be more forward-thinking. Some of some people are, and think about, uh, and not all. Certainly not half. Maybe even Chantal can speak to her own experiences if you ever want to uh, talk about that. But it's really cool that we have things like play it forward happening, and people like Jacob Wilson and others that are jumping on board as uh, you know, as professionals who are saying, Yeah, I, I think this is important. I want to contribute to it, and uh, I think it's just so cool and. I, I was at home watching the race between uh, the two of you, and it was really cool watching it go down to the last round and the final standings and the tiebreakers. And, of course, you know, considering we're friends, I was very proud that uh, you were able to not just top 24, but uh, take down that sweet playmat and all of the perks. So, uh, mm-hmm. And to do it with a pretty sweet deck, too. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the Primeval Titans. Uh, played them at the last Modern Pro Tour, and so I was uh, happy to see Valakut... Uh, taking it down. Well done. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty sweet.
2: Thanks.
0: <laughs> um, Chantal, when, when I put up uh, your article, your recent one, it was just funny. I have to rant a little about this. Like I, I, okay. I got a Twitter, some Twitter response of someone's like, Oh, do we always have to uh, point out that it's a girl that uh, has done one at an event? And, to me, it's like I what even even if you were like doing that, if you read the entire articles, very much focus on the story of your journey and and the story of the deck. There was nothing like super at all, like super female, like exclusive about it. So it was a bit tiring for me to 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 see people just playing like I guess devil's advocate just for the for the heck of it. So. It got no, a little welcome.
2: annoying. <laughs> welcome to my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was just seeing it. It's like you guys clearly didn't read the article. I mean, she just named her article "Play um, Play Like a Girl" at GP Vancouver, and that was it. I didn't think yeah. it was uh, a big deal, and, and some were making a big deal of it. Um, before, it's just funny how uh, we're talking now and how you performed well. Uh, how you emailed me like before you did well at the two events that you did because you had emailed me a while talking about um how you saw the, the list of proteins and you noticed that there wasn't a, a single female on on those lists uh, on that particular list of teams was is that correct?
2: yeah, yeah, there is like no no women on any of the protein lists, and it was like as a woman, it's a little disheartening to to be faced with that and be like, I'm such a problem solver. I'm like, how do we fix this? How? What are the steps we can take to make this not happen again?
0: Yeah, and I'm just like, ah, <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> because uh, I got nothing, just because of the personal, I told you my personal experience, and it's because um, at some level, some of these teams basically – treat it as it's pretty cutthroat and they treat it as their job, their profession. And for some it is their sole source of income and they just want the best of the best. And they're just not going to throw a random guy like me or a random female that, that made their first PT on a pro team. So it's really hard to, to crack this just because there's a a section of of players that are doing this for a living. I think Rob has a lot of thoughts on this. Yeah. Like, uh,
3: these like the incentive structure that Watsi has set up doesn't really lend itself to wanting to create a team, like I'm not, not for diversity's sake, but that doesn't give what you 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 the team feel is your best chance of doing well because there's a lot of perks that the team gets if the team does well, right? So, um, like if someone comes into the PT and they've only qualified for the first or second one. Like, regardless of their gender or gender identity or, or whatever skill level in, in general, it's just, like, so hard for them to break in to one of those pro teams because they just – they aren't – they maybe not queued for the rest of the PTs, right? And that's, like, a huge risk for a team to take because, like, you really need all those points or, like, your best shot at getting the most points, right? Like, even, like, a uh, one of the Fireball – I think it's one of the Fireball teams had Raptor on their team, and, like, he wasn't even cued, right, <laughs> for the whole, all the Pro Tours, but they're like, you know, Raptor's probably a first ballot Hall of Famer. He has five PT top eights. Uh, you know, we'll take – We'll, we'll take a risk on him, right? And what does he do? He wins the GP, and then the next week wins the mocks and locks platinum for this year next. Okay, cool. Like, that seems like a reasonable risk to take, right? But, like, even players like me, like, I'm good at magic. I'm not insane. But, like, I have moments where I'm very good. I have moments where I'm very bad. And I've never been asked to be on a pro team, right? I've queued for five PTs. I think uh, Doug's probably a little more connected than I am. And he's been, like, kind of in and out a little bit, but he's not like a longstanding member of like one of these big teams, like, like mass drop or whatever. Right. I think it's just the way they have set up the structure where you really need your whole team to be queued for the whole year. It's just, it's going to be even harder for people that are of, you know, any kind of denomination to break in and move up into that circuit. Uh, It's, it's just not conducive to that. So I think if they change the incentive structure where maybe there were slots for people that were, um, less I don't know, less risky for the, the team or like they, they really didn't mean anything. It was more like a almost like a mentorship. Like, yeah, like come in, like let's learn, let's let's bring you up with us type of thing, instead of like, you no, know, my kind of my, my livelihood depends on you. <laughs> and I'm just like not willing to bet the farm that you know you're gonna you're gonna crush the next two RPTQs and kinda get there or whatever. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's kind of weird. I, I'm not surprised that there's no females. Um on any of the teams. I'm also not surprised with how the teams are set up. Like everyone is just insane on the teams. Like you don't even see mid-level players on these teams really, right? Like almost everyone's gold or platinum or they're like deeply entrenched uh, in the, you know, the social circles uh, of those teams, right? Which kind of gives you a little more weight where maybe you do or do not deserve it. But uh, I don't know. That, that's kind of my stance on it. Like, um if you want to see change, maybe I, I would suggest everyone kind of lobby against Watsi to change the incentive structures for the team. That that's really the the barrier to entry, right? And it's you're not going to see any different unless you know a female makes platinum, for example, or gold. That that would definitely lock them into a a pro team for sure. I would be very offended actually if there was a platinum female player and they weren't on a team. That would be something to talk about.
2: Yeah, for me, I think it's more about lately. I've been focusing more on how we get. Women to be that good, to be at the point where they're gold or platinum, and able to like make those social connections that players have with each other, and uh, be able to like be, have the opportunities to have mentorships or learn from each other. And it's funny, like we had that conversation, KYT, and then like a month later, Play It Forward comes out with mentorships, and I was like, this, this is what I was looking for. <laughs>
0: Uh, Rob mentioned Doug is, is pretty connected. Like I, like some would argue that I'm super connected. And when I made my first two PTs, I didn't have a super team that would have probably, well, I didn't super, I didn't go out of my way to ask too much, but I knew what the answer was. That was going to be no, despite some of them knowing that I'm more than competent, but there are other like super um, high level players that that don't know me. They're not going to take the chance for, for me to be on the team. So That was even before they had,
3: like, the incentive structure they do now. That was just like, you're not even allowed to be in the same house and know our (laughs) deck list. Like, we don't even – you're not even good enough for that, let alone, uh, you know, whether or not you continue to qualify is really going to hurt our standing for the season type of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and then I'd have people at the local shop. It's like, oh, you're KYT. You know all these players. But, you know, it's a different ballgame once you get to that level. And – but how I, I started um, Man Deprived and how uh, this was before everyone, every pro player was on Twitter. Um, Cappy and, and Hayne gave me a lot of credit for pushing the names of some of the better Canadians so that they could work together. And we're seeing this here maybe with with Play It Forward and stuff like that. We get to see who some of the best females uh, in the world are so that people can recognize these names and they gain this, this credibility, so that people would want them on their team. And we have people like Jared Gashani telling me your top 10 modern stuff like that just really helps people that just tell others who should be on your radar that, that are, that aren't necessarily known by anyone else. Uh, we'll let Doug chime in here.
1: Yeah. Um, it's it's funny. I totally relate to what Rob was just saying about the pro teams because I have been to seven pro tours, and I was actually on the first, uh, like one of the first big Team Manor Private teams uh, at Barcelona, where Hain won the pro tour, and that team was stacked. You know, it was it was a bunch of Canadians, but Adam Yearchick was on that team too, uh, and it was this new up and coming thing before there were incentives. And then I was on the team again in Montreal with like Sushin Kuo was on the team and how Shan we refusing starting to bring different, you know, call it wasn't just Canadian anymore. And then after that, by the next pro tour, I was like not even close to a consideration because they had to raise their bar as more players were, um, interested. And so they were basically at that point looking for locked players, with the exception of Pascal Maynard, because he qualified for something stupid like like eleven pro tours in a row without ever getting an invite from a pro tour. They were all through GP's and like PTQs and Planeswalker points or whatever. So he was like the one of the exceptions to that. And this was like Rob said before incentives. That's, I was even you know pushed out as someone who had tested with them twice. In Barcelona, I was the second highest finisher on the team. And both of those two Pro Tours, I was playing for cash. Not big accomplishments, but I'm just saying like I held my own on the battlefield. Um, and, I, and I wouldn't even have a shot of making a team after that. I was in Dragon's Maze. So when I heard about this new Pro Tour team structure... I was talking to like Sammy and the people I was testing for Hawaii. And I was like, yeah, unless we create a team, I would have zero shot if I even qualified for my eighth pro tour uh, and went. And so, yeah, I agree. It it sucks. It's not like a good thing. It's not something that's going to motivate people to, to see, Oh, like, Hey, look at her or look at them doing well. That's someone I can identify with. And I want to push myself to get to that point. I would love to see that. And uh, that's why I get so fired up and happy about things like play it forward and hearing these stories and and, and talking to you actually like as well has been good for me in the Alberta community because you know I have questions I don't know what it's like and I've not experienced what you've experienced and and you've not experienced what Jennifer's experienced and, and no one has you know what I mean and so the more we can, can just kind of talk and learn and listen and 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 that's the key is listen and don't don't superimpose your thoughts on other people's experiences and I just realize that we have different experiences walking into this magic tournament, all sorts of people, um, you know, two guys, a guy, a girl, like different people will have a different experience from each other. And it's cool to see this kind of like, not rivalry, but this competition, like this, you know, this, this lifting each other up because that's how true mentorship happens. I think is when uh, people of differing skills come together side by side and work with each other. They'll both pull each other up. It's that whole, you know, iron sharpens iron thing. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. And, and I'm glad that you didn't seem discouraged being like, there's no, you know, females or, uh, or, um, you know, non-binary players on the pro teams. You were more problem solving because I think we need more of that. And I've seen that in you for, for years and, and it, it's awesome. Well, thanks.
0: Okay, we're going to um, just ask you one, <laughs> one last thing, uh, <laughs> Chantel. Are you qualified for an RPTQ this upcoming weekend?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, this Saturday I'm doing an online RPTQ. Um, it's at 6 in the morning, which I did not realize when I signed up for it. But uh, So that's going to be an adventure in waking up early.
0: Okay, and you're going to be playing between?
2: It's Mardu Vehicles or Mardu Ballista right now. Um I was really impressed with Raptor's list that he played at the mocks, so I want to test that out, but I've been seeing a lot on Twitter, like, a lot of pros being like, I don't think Ballista's, like, best position anymore. I think it might just be straight vehicles now, so I don't know. I got a lot of testing to do in the next few days.
3: Mm, okay. I think that if all the players are insane, the Ballista deck gets worse, um, but it's, like, not going to be true of the RPTQ you're going to play or, like, a GP, for example, right? Um, like, I, I think that the... It, it seemed like, from what I saw on Twitter, the pros overestimated how good the average player is with Four Colors to Healy. And I just I don't think that the average player is as good as Lucas Blohan. And uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the Japanese player. I'm going like, to just butcher it. Someone's just going to flame me on Twitter. So uh, the other top four competitor that was on Four Colors to Healy. And so, like not It's just not going to be true, right? Um, so I think that they're not going to be able to play around the disruption of the Ballista version. Uh, has kind of like in the main deck uh, as well as, you know, the elite players um, on average. And I think that benefit is is worth it. And you're also like a white-black deck splashing on License Disintegration and release out of the board instead of like a white-black or like a white-red deck that's playing four Fatal Push 4 on License Disintegration and also once black for Scrap Eats Granger, So you're just going to like lose less games to your mana. So that, that's what I found anyways <laughs> with the deck. So uh, my advice would be to lean towards the Ballista version. Um, but, uh, I mean, I'd be interested to know if there's a good red-white deck out there still. Um, I just, I don't think the mana is good enough over a long tournament.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that.
0: Hmm. All right, out. we're gonna let you go. Uh, where can people find you? Online?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at... C-tell Campbell, C-T-E-L-L-E Campbell and if you like pictures of food that's my Instagram as well um, and also Snapchat It's I've taken over the name on all social media so that's <laughs> if you want to find me
0: Alright, thank you. thank you so much for coming on and I can't wait for your next big finish hopefully it's at, at this RPTQ, RPTQ. Or, or next GP and uh, we'll hopefully we'll get you back on soon when you crush it at a tournament Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming
2: on.
0: All right. That was Chantel, man. She was awesome. And uh, we, she had the early part, uh, Robbie gave her a bit of advice of what she should uh, do at her upcoming RPTQ, the one locally at Montreal. Actually the day before that sad story. I finished second with uh, our our first strike or version one of the first strike Version of the Mardu Vehicles deck. Why would
3: you play? Wait, before you go on, Kit. Why would you play version one when we had version two? I
0: mean, we we sort explain of had yourself. version two. We, sort of, <laughs> we we had version two, but no one no one could explain <laughs> until like the midnight hour why we were playing Oath of uh, Liliana. But I made it to the finals, so that's how good the deck we had was. That's sure. good version one it was good enough to qualify you for the PT. Uh, I so I lost in the finals against the Mirror. And um, in the very next day, we've got the top eight, the Montreal RPTQ, all to- the whole entire top eight was Mardu Vehicles, or probably Mardu Ballista, the whole- and obviously the whole top four, everyone that qualified was on the same deck. I don't think I've, I've seen that since this RPTQ system has happened. We had my friends William Bl- Blondin, Mike Brierly, Phil Sams, John Wasson, all people that I, I know, which is kind of shocking, this has never happened. So I'm really happy with the result from, from this uh, past weekend. Uh, and William was actually playing a version closer to uh, your list, Rob, closer to your version. He, he based it off of, because he let me the cards for the Brian version. So he took the 75, made a few tweaks based on what Raptor was playing, based on things that me and you had discussed uh, between us. And took that and was able to qualify, so you know he wanted to give uh some shouts to you and Brian for uh giving him a that list and <laughs> he, want, I, he sent me a message before right before the show didn't have time to read it, but I think he said that like Avison, he was really happy with Avison that was really key in uh for for him getting that blue envelope so yeah, it's it's like
3: it's really good in the two matchups that actually matter, which are the mirror and against four colors Sahili, and it's just it allows you to leave your mana up while presenting a threat. It's disruptive and it's a wrath and it hits. It's real hard. So yeah, I mean as always, Addison's just a house when you can cast it. So <laughs> I think uh, you're gonna see the number probably uh, rise a little bit if the decks can afford it. I know I'm, I'm playing three in my
0: 75 now. Okay, so question one for for you, Rob. During my my run mm-hmm. on, on Saturday, I lost to uh, Teamer Marvel in the Swiss because I thought it was an awful matchup. And it seems like every time, for the past couple of months, whatever deck I play is just really doesn't match up that well against the um, man, I forget its name now. The guy who makes <laughs> one ones, the one three guy. Virtuoso?
1: Ruler, virtuoso. Oh Yeah. Two three.
0: Two three. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what deck I play, that guy just seems to be so annoying. And I was playing against it. It just buys them so much time to be able to get to Ulamog before I can kill him. So once they stumble a bit, uh, draw a bunch of Ulamogs in their hand, or I have this really killer heart of Kirin start. I felt like that would be my hardest matchup. And when I messaged Brian for a sideboard guy, because he didn't, have anything he just said like just lose to be honest i'm like but but it's in the topic i need some <laughs> advice like i might face it uh so what do you think is the worst matchup for the deck rub um honestly it, it's probably
3: it's probably uh like a straight marvel deck that's running for Woodweavers puzzle not for will virtuoso um that's hitting uh ulamog and um, if they can fumigate as well, like I, I know Felix and, and team were like playing a kind of a, a white version that was able to fumigate. Um, that seems pretty good. I mean, the thing is that like if they're relying just on uh, Ulamog really as how they're going to kill you and they're just stalling with, um, with Virtuoso, I think that you're probably on average favored. Uh, in that matchup, and I would just make the deck as lean as possible after board. So, like, anything that doesn't do something turns one through three, I'd be looking to get uh, out of the deck, if possible, and bringing in all er- early interaction, right? Um, and, like, if you would have played the list I sent you, then you would have had Oath of Liliana <laughs> that you could even beat a resolved Ulamog. It's not a big deal. <laughs> so, um, but but, yeah, like, I mean, it's just it's just that's the marvel way right like that's why the card's super annoying is that you know they they play a puzzle knot they crack it they start the game at 26 it doesn't really cost them much right they've only spent a card and played some lands and they just play marvel and they just cross their fingers and hope they hit right if they hit they probably win if they lose then they're in a spot where it's like okay if they can try and spin it again without dying then they still have a chance but they you know depending on how aggressive their opponent's draws, they can still lose, even if they do hit on the second flip. Um, but if they whiff a second time, then they're uh, like 100% dead, right? <laughs> so I think they're probably, I don't know what their odds to hit are, it's probably like 30 or 40% to hit something like actually relevant. Um, so you're definitely favored, right? Just by by pressuring them. Um, but it's just super annoying. It's just super annoying to lose to a deck like that. But like you have, you know, you have the four colors to Healy decks kind of doing the same thing, right? You keep a hand without unlicensed disintegration in it. Uh, against them, and you're just like, geez, I hope I draw something, or else they're just can play Saheeli and combo me out of turn four. So, I don't know. The format's in kind of a weird spot. Um, but even through all that, is still the best deck, so... <laughs> Go figure.
0: <laughs> so, what are your plans for uh, this upcoming weekend? Um, I'm going to test out
3: some real weird spicy stuff uh, in the Mardu list. I tried... Um, I'll, I'll tell everyone what didn't work. Uh, Syndicate Trafficker, it's not good. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, this seems like it might be okay. Like, they go to kill the heart, you get plus one, plus one. It's kind of hard to kill. Uh, it cruise things. It's another three power two drop. Yeah, it's just terrible. Uh, don't don't bother trying that out. Uh, I tried, like, a very controly version with a bunch of Planeswalkers in the main. It was more like a, like a Mardu walker's deck that still had, like, the heart scrapkeeper... Scrap Heap Scrounger, and Inspector package. Uh, that was like very good against the mirror, uh, and very good against four colors of Healy. But like anytime you run into one of these random, uh, like other decks like like Marvel or whatever, you just lose. You just like you don't have, you can't put enough pressure on them. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna basically just focus on how do I beat four colors to Healy like seventy percent of the time uh, against a good player. Uh, and me and Derek are going to test a bunch this week to to figure that out. Um, and then Brian and I are hopefully going to sync up and test the mirror a bunch, and I'm going to try and tune the deck so that I also have a very good matchup against what the other Mardu decks or what we think the other Mardu decks will be bringing uh, to New Jersey, which would probably be close to Raptor's list, I guess, since the, usually the latest winning list is the most popular uh, list, regardless of if that, that list is actually good or not. Um, so yeah, I just I I definitely want to be in a spot where it beats both of those things. I'm not sure that you can actually get there, but uh, that's what my goal is. I think if you can build a deck to beat those two decks, um, you're in a real good spot for New Jersey. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> Doug, you have anything upcoming, yeah. standard?
1: Um, it's interesting. Rob mentioned it quickly earlier, but I think it's a big thing to think about going into New Jersey. Is how different four colors Sahili is in very good players' hands versus everyone else. I I was honestly a little bit flabbergasted watching some of the lines like Lucas Blohan specifically was taken, realizing he's so good. He just knows this deck so well. And he's doing things like turn four instead of playing a four drop to potentially the next turn have his World of Virtuoso plus a negate or plus something else. He's playing the Virtuoso in these weird tempo um, places just to give him more live outs later. And it, it was... Like Honestly, I felt like, especially his best of three, best of threes against Marcio, I felt like was a bit of a masterclass with the deck. And uh, I remember when Jerry was on the show talking about it, I got really excited about, you know, four color. And I thought, yeah, like this deck does have a lot of play, but it's a deck I I would love to be on if I was going to New Jersey. But I don't even know, even with a, a week or two of testing, if I'd be competent. So I do think that that in itself will drive up Mardu numbers, at least once you get past maybe the six zero or the or the six one uh, tables. You're either going to be, you know, facing just Mardu players, which could be anyone, or very competent Sahili players. Um, so it's just something to think about. And uh, I, I think that Marvel is sweet, but uh, it wouldn't be a deck that I would I would be on. I think I would just be on Mardu at this point. Um, I played quite a bit, not quite a bit. I played a little bit with the old Mardu vehicles list before it went to Ballista. And I like what it's doing with Ballista. The whole Avison walking Ballista interaction is amazing. Um, you know, flipping Avisons is something that I've been doing as, as long as that card has existed. I you have I more memories. Me, I love me some, uh, some Avison and flipping, flipping that girl, some Hangerback walkers and, uh, yeah, it's a good times. So uh, I, I definitely think that that's a good place to be. Uh, be right now. I, I'm interested to see what kind of spicy stuff Rob does. Uh, you know, those those people in the First Strike Nation uh, get get little little teasers every once in a while of things he's he's brewing. Because that's one of the the perks of subscribing to the Patreon—not to just keep you know, hooking it up here. But, uh, you know, as uh, Rob's brews uh, make their way into that group. So there's some fun, fun things that might uh, arise from that.
3: At the very least, at the end of the week, you'll know what not to try.
0: <laughs> I can at least- that
1: <laughs> but yeah four colors saheeli like it's crazy how much energy it can just stockpile and down top deck of whirler virtuoso and go wide around an Avicen that's not flipped let's say and just be killing them with like five thopters four thopters three thopters two thopters like th- getting through it's that deck is sweet uh, and i i love oath of oath of chandra got a big soft spot for that that card as well just you know that pinion for two but Otha Liliana in the Mardu Vehicles is a similarly cool uh, thing we played Otha Liliana in our Mardu Piles deck at uh, Honolulu, and those zombies they definitely add up when you're just dropping Gideon's get two two twos out of it. So
3: yeah, it's very weird. Like you look at this card, it's like this is not good enough, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs>
3: and then you cast it, it like kills the Winding Constrictor, and you're like. Eh. Okay, cool. I, that's not that bad, right? I got in with my scrap piece. Founder, cool. And then you like, you know, they they follow up with with whatever, like a tireless track or something. You just like play a Gideon, make a guy, and you're like, yeah, they can just like never kill Gideon now, right? Like, yeah, it's just exactly. safe. <laughs> this game's <Yeah>. over. <laughs> and
1: then you emblem, play another Gideon, make yeah. another two two twos that are now three threes. Three threes.
3: It's, yeah.
1: it's crazy. Yeah, three that
0: two, <laughs> it's, a
1: sweet, it's a sweet card. And and I I'm thinking about like what's going to happen to the format next because you know, we came out of the pro tour and we went into the first GP and green black was supposedly the truth. Right. And it was like, green black is the answer to Mardu. And so then I was like, okay, well, what's going to circle around to take out green black and it's Mardu. It's just different Mardu. So it's just kind of funny how, uh, how things are going right now. And I do wonder if there is some kind of green black version that can, you know, as, as Mardu gets like slightly bigger to win the mirror and we're moving into this Avicen world. And as decks are shifting their plan, like we saw the four colors Sahili deck, uh, in the Japanese players, hands board in sky sovereigns and board out the combo when he was on the draw. Um, and he took out the entire all eight piece of the combo. And he really could only win with Sky Sovereign Whirler Virtuoso at that point. And he did. Like he he took down game two of the first um best it was like best two out of three matches. Game two against Raptor, he top decked the Sky Sovereign in an opportune time and it just rode him to victory um with some fortunate draws of creatures to crew. So it, you know, as things start to get bigger in those areas, I wonder if Green Black might find a good home to come back in and, you know, steal a tournament. It kinda of reminds me of uh, when Seth Manfield showed up with black white control to win a tournament. Last season, when people were kind of thinking that deck wasn't good anymore, but as the format kind of shifted with these green-white decks getting bigger and bigger to beat each other, then he just kind of swooped back in and uh, took it down, and it was really only a one-deck, a one-weekend deck, and then it kind of sucked after that by Costa Rica. just wasn't good again. I wonder if green-black's going to do that soon, so we'll see.
3: Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like it has such an unwinnable Sahili matchup, just the way things are now. I'm not... I guess there's probably something you can do, but then like the the Mardu like the standard Mardu sideboard plan, if they slow down so that they can definitely kill a Fellar Guardian when they need to, um, and play like more grass, more murders in the main, then like the sideboard plan of just like going big with more Planeswalkers f- and Fumigates just gets even better against them. <laughs> so like they could definitely try and beat the Sahili deck, but then the Mardu deck just gets like you know it's like so unwinnable. I, I don't know. Maybe they can. Um, be more like a Jund Delirium deck, where they're really just splashing red for release and unlicensed disintegration, and then their creature suite is like Grimflayer, Ballista, Scrapheap Scrounger, Heart of Kirin with like Nissa, like three mana Nissa at the three drop or something like that, and then like some removal and Gear Hulks and and then the Fatal pushes and, and some Grasp. I I don't know if like if that list like. Looks like anything when you kind of pile it all out, but I don't know. Licenseless integration is just like so good. Maybe they can do that. They can basically be the Mardu deck with slightly better mana because they can play Traverse. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a thing. I don't know. I, I'm not. I just really kind of thought about that as you were talking about <laughs> green black now. But I guess uh, I'll be trying that out. So follow <laughs> along to see if it's garbage or not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: On the next episode of First Strike Nation, Rob Bruce, John. No, yeah, like something Vince just said in the chat is they could just ignore Saheli decks, make that a meta call. And that's like the type of thing that you were talking about, you know, this this Mardu versus Saheeli. And um, players who aren't excellent might test Sahili and just lose a lot. And so then they might be off it. I don't know. GP might not be the best place to do that there you know there was an interesting post today this is probably going to derail but Sperling asked this question it was basically about like rock paper scissors if you know 80% of people are showing up to a tournament with rock and 20% are showing up with paper what deck should you play to win the tournament and scissors is the answer in a GP because yeah you're going to lose to like the 80 uh, the 80% rock people but all of the Paper is going to cover the rock and start rising to the top. So the top is going to be all paper because the tournament's all rock. And then scissors is the answer to win the tournament. I don't know if that makes sense. That was a little convoluted, but I think that's. You also have this... to
3: avoid the rock in the beginning. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you, it's, it's literally
1: like you either lose, you have to hit those 20% in the early rounds. But if you do, you're going to sail all the way to first place, yeah. is the you know, idea, right? There's, so there's
3: some the logic somewhere in there. It's, yeah,
1: it, it's, it, you know, I read that, I thought it was a fascinating post and I loved reading. Um people talking about that, and it doesn't fully apply here because you know I, I'm talking more about a deck to beat the eighty percent, not to beat the twenty percent, but I think you can kind of apply these types of logic even knowing you have like a horrible Sahili matchup if you're not expecting a lot of Sahili at the g p by competent players, so I don't know that's kind of I, I don't know what the green blacklist would look like, but i if I was heavily testing, I'd just try to make sure that. You know, not everyone's going to play Mardu, and I could have just played this sweet green-black deck and beat them. I don't know.
3: I mean, people are slow to adjust from their decks in paper, so it's probably just going to be like 50% green-black again <laughs> at New Jersey because that's what the people brought to Pittsburgh, and it's only a few weeks later. <laughs> they just haven't picked up a new deck. So uh, I think it'll still the green-black will still be very well represented. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm feeling good for New Jersey. I... Assume that if I do not get Manus uh I should do very well, I hope. Anyways, we'll see if, uh, if that's true. But I had, like, a kind of a bad Mardu list at Pittsburgh, and I went 11-4. and four. And now I have, like, a sweet Mardu list. Um, so I, I hope to do a little better. So my, my Mardu list at Pittsburgh was a little bit sketchy. <laughs> it was, like, it was hot off the presses then, though.
0: Got to call out Brian, who uh, famously sat on this cast that Unlaces disintegration was a bad card. Unplayable. But he said
3: it was unplayable. Yeah, that's right. He was, I think he was even really angry that it was an FNM promo, because how could you print a card so
0: bad? <laughs> Sorry, Brian, I love you. and uh, Well, you're the reason Rob cued, so can't complain too much. <laughs> yeah, this, I can still do this
1: fun. But. A list with unlicensed disintegration in it. At least he did that.
3: <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it would have been way better if he gave me a martyr list without unlicensed disintegration in it. It's like, I, guys, I think I solved it.
1: <laughs> just full of the the 2-3 Death Touch lifelinkers. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you can just attack through everything.
0: <laughs> okay, moving on to... Uh, for, for To keep on... Not moving on, but to, to stay on martyr vehicles, I had... Like, Heart of Kirin and a lot of the cards in the Mardu deck are really expensive and online, despite people selling out of MTGO, especially Brian, who sold, like, thousands of dollars of, of cards It's expensive to to get into Mardu if you don't already have the pieces. I mean, I had Blue-White Flash, so I have, like, some of the pieces, like Gideon, stuff like that. But other cards are pretty expensive. And I believe I had mentioned on either this cast or somewhere else where there was a new service that at at some point came out a couple of months ago where you can rent an entire deck They would just mail it to you. And we're seeing a lot of these um, different types of services, um, and now Doug uh, put it in the first strike, uh, the podcast group that we have, and he mentioned Mana Traders, which is a, co- a different concept. It's online renting where you can pay a fee to rent a deck online. And I just think that's an amazing idea as long as the price isn't too crazy. That'd be something I'd be interested in because some of these decks, like the Martin Vehicles deck, uh, Doug checked before the show, is like 352 ticks. That's a lot of ticks if you just want to test for one event. Like for me, like GP New Jersey, maybe I just want to get some last-minute testing for this event, and I don't really want the entire deck along the way. And if I win a few queues, hmm, that's $35 per month. Maybe I could pay for it just by... <laughs> Crushing a few queues if I'm, uh, I have a good deck list. So, what do you think about the service, uh, Rob?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, um, you know, it's reasonably priced, like, it's kind of like you're paying 10%, but you, uh, let Doug explain the hours thing because it still confuses me. Like, you don't just get it for the month or whatever, you get it for like a certain portion of the month or something you have to keep trading it back in and out or else you just like burn all your time with the deck but i I don't know it seems okay um i think that if you're planning to win uh it's probably a bad choice unless you're like just completely fresh to moto so if you're like completely fresh to moto and you just want to get in spend 35 dollars and like test a deck for a weekend um or a week or something and then kind of like figure out what how you want to Configure yourself for the GP, then that's good. If this is like a consistent thing you do, or you're like kind of invested in Moto already, I think that the spread on Moto cards is low enough that, assuming you're not just like burning all your tickets drafting, it should be pretty easy to like just sell whatever your current standard deck is, buy into Mardu. Uh, if you're not winning with it, just sell it uh, with very low losses. Like I, I don't know. Like I'm looking at Heart of Kieran. Like the sell price is twenty eighty. And the buy price is twenty dollars, so you're like losing eighty cents per heart, right? Um, so that's like what, like forty cents on ten dollars? Like it's pretty, it's pretty low um, cost to kind of actually just buy the cards and sell them off later. Like you're probably out maybe the same price as a monthly fee, just like getting in and out of a deck, right? So if you're planning on keeping it long term, or you want to like put in more than the allotted hours that they're kind of kind of going to give you. Um, And you really think that you're going to stick on a deck, I guess I would just probably, I don't know, buy it and then, (laughs) and then like, you know, just play like some cues and win some tickets and then you're good, right? So I don't know. I think it's probably not for a lot of people, but there's a small portion of the market this is useful for. And hopefully, like, it gets them on moto, maybe it gets them hooked. So it's
0: probably a good gateway drug, I guess. But I don't think it's a good long term (laughs) strategy. Uh, before Doug goes, I want to correct myself a little. It wasn't it's just because Doug put so much effort in the number crunching that I thought it was Doug's idea, but it was actually our boy Vince uh, dagger four that uh, initially shared the link. So shout outs to Vince for for making this a topic.
1: So Doug, is this a good deal or bad deal, and what the heck are these hours i I don't understand okay well i'll I'll just explain the hours quickly before I just kind of destroy some of the things rob said that just aren't true please um, educate me completely <laughs> but uh so okay it's sweet when you buy this 35 dollar plan you look at it and it says right there that you get to rent cards and decks up to 350 ticks worth which is a sweet amount. So you can pay sixty bucks a month to rent cards up to seven hundred and fifty ticks worth. And if you look at Marty Vehicles, Josh Elder Layton's exact seventy-five, it's three hundred and fifty-two ticks right now. So you can basically just rent his entire deck uh, and and get to play with that. But then when you look down a little bit to the subscription, it says you get twenty-five thousand monthly mana hours. And you're like, what the heck is a mana hour? You know, you got to kind of understand what you're actually doing with this service. And so how they explain it is their tickets that the deck cost have a value per hour. So if the deck costs 350 tickets for one hour of play with this deck or of borrowing it, not even play, just having it on your account, that's costs 350 mana hours. So if you borrow this deck for four hours, then that's 1400 mana hours 350 times four you get twenty five thousand mana hours a month so if you were just to borrow maru vehicles 350 ticks we're going to call it you can play it for 71 hours and a half approximately so if you want to say that you're doing this you know maybe for four hour chunks where you're going to commit four hours to play moto you know you're going to play through a league or whatever uh and you're gonna just kind of jam with that deck you can do that 17 ish times. So 17 four hour chunks in a month, which isn't like awful for $35. I don't think it's not amazing. The value when you realize you can't just like borrow the deck and keep it kind of goes down. The reason why they do this from my understanding, reading their FAQ is to keep cards in stock. Cause if you just have them on your account, then the other people can't borrow them. And they've committed to having one play set of standard per two subscriptions so for every two people subscribing, they'll have one play set. They do say that you might not be able to get the cards you want at all times. Obviously, if Mardu is hotly contested, you know, you just got to hope that you can find a time where someone's not logging in their mana hours and you can snipe them up. But I actually do think this is a reasonable deal, honestly, and I don't just think it's a reasonable deal for people who are brand new at Moto and very good, uh, like Rob said, because... The the whole, I think, crux of your argument is you're going to have one deck and you're going to stick on that deck and you're going to and you're going to test that deck. But people are often tuning these decks and they're trying out different things. And if you even look at uh, the sideboard plans of the two Saheeli players in the top eight, they're very different. And some of these cards cost quite a bit of ticks if you're going to go invest in some Sky Servants now. Or maybe you play that for a while, you realize, no, I'm not that good at this deck. I, I want to be on Mardu this weekend right now now you want to go switch to mardu or maybe you're in a brewing mood and you want to just jam syndicate traffickers for whatever the heck reason you want well now you got to go invest in those and i think that having the fluidity to just give back all the cards take new cards and kind of continue to do that is one of the big perks of this service it's definitely not for hardcore moto grinders if you if this is something you're putting like five six seven hours a day or maybe to to put it in a week perspective you're playing all weekends yeah you're going to want to buy decks because this is something you're investing a lot of time into but for people who just want to play moto someone like myself what you know once i sell all my cards i can tell you right now i honestly would consider buying the 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 mid-level the premium the 35 dollar uh subscription then i could just play kind of whatever i want up to a limit you know, whenever I want. And and I can buy some of the bigger ticket cards if I want to, or I can buy all the cheaper cards and only borrow like the Gideons and the Hearts or whatever. And the other thing this service lets you avoid is just the random fluctuations of cards. Because if you didn't buy a certain card, and then it just jumps up significantly, you're out that money. And yes, you can argue that you only have your 350 tick limit, of course, right? So, you know, maybe those fluctuations will actually hurt you more when next week Mardu Vehicles is now worth 400 or 500. And then three weeks from now, it's worth 200, right? Like it's all kind of all over the place. But uh, I think it's a good service. And I just think you have to kind of pay real close attention before being like, yeah, I'm going to borrow any deck I want whenever I want. I'm going to buy this, uh, this amazing service. No, like you got to think about it. Another cool little thing with this is uh, if you sell them tickets to the, their bots, um and you're a you're a member either the premium or the gold, that's the thirty-five or higher, you get one percent bonus tickets. And if you um buy stuff from their bots, you get a one percent discount if you're premium, uh, and two percent discount if you're gold. So, you know, there's these little other perks that you get for, for the services on top of that, because the mana traders, they have a whole bot system. You can sell them ticks, you can sell them your moto collections, you know, it's it's a way to cash out on Moto and stuff like that. So that's interesting.
0: Hmm. I might actually use this, Rob. I think uh, maybe... Good, you can tell me if it's garbage or not. <laughs> I think it's good. Uh, well, Doug mentioned all the perks. For me personally, it's it might be when I'm in the... Um, I'd have to be in the middle of trying a bunch of different decks because in that case, what I hate about investing in a deck online is to have to resell it Feel like I wasted money on during that uh, transaction to try another. deck. like one of my friends uh, recently messaged me, "Hey, do you want to buy my Moto account? I bought four colors Sahili, but now I don't. I'm bored. I don't really like it. I don't think it's good. So it's like, okay. So they they just don't want to. For me, I wouldn't want to jump from like um, let's say last format. If I wanted to try blue white flash, and then green black delirium. Maybe I want to try red green." Well, red green energy was cheap. Red green, uh, Aether Marvel works. So I'm losing a lot of ticks doing all of that. But in here, I can just pay one time, try a bunch of different things because I'm trading. I have to trade back things anyways to deserve my mana hours. So I think that's a scenario where I feel it's it's worth my time and and stuff like that. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I don't know if it was more like a pre
3: played prepaid plan where you're just like putting in like sixty dollars mm-hmm. of uh, and that like. I don't know. Like, I think it would be better maybe if it's structured around mana hours more and less around the the value. Like, I know they're trying to get you on this recurring subscription plan, but I think sometimes that doesn't really, like, work out for you, right? Like, I I understand the benefit of, like, trying to test a bunch of decks, but, like, what happens when you get to the end of that 17 hours that you have? Or, sorry, yeah, 17 real-life hours, 25,000 mana hours or whatever it is, and, you know, you're like, okay, now I know what deck I want to play, it's time to go make some bank, and you're just like, okay, well, wait, I don't, I don't have any hours left to rent this deck and actually, like, you know, um, you know, make some bank on Moto. So I, I don't, there's like some weird things with that that kind of make me a little bit skittish about the service. But I mean, I think if you're just slightly more casual and you're playing less, it's probably a reasonable. Uh, investment. I mean, like, I'm just completely degenerate, right? Like, I'm on moto all the time, and I really want to uh, put in my effort and grind this year to try and hit silver, so I'm maybe playing in a pattern that I normally wouldn't have uh, otherwise, so it's difficult difficult for me to kind of take a step back and look at it uh, in a different light, but, like, if you're a player like me, where you're kind of uh, in a mode where you can, you feel confident you can 3-2 with any tier 1 deck, um, kind of in any, any queue, I think it's just definitely better to just buy the cards and do that grind your value that way than to try and to try and go through this process. But um, it'll be interesting. I'm glad that KYT is going to be a guinea pig because I'm very curious to see what happens after a month of use. Was it like all burned, like KYT went hard the first weekend, he's out of hours, and now he's just sitting there foaming at the mouth, can't play anything, but at least he knows what's good? Or is it like really spread out and he's able to get, you know, a game or two of Moto in here and there? And, like, you know, he's able to get access to the cards he needs. It, it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure kind of where, uh, where it'll actually stand.
1: Just remember, it's, like, it's 71 hours if you buy a max price deck, right? Like, if you borrow a max price deck. So if you borrow 200 ticks worth of cards, that number almost doubles that many hours. And, like, I well, don't You know, didn't explain that to us, Doug. I did. I did give the example of if no, it's a three hundred and fifty ticket. So if it was a if it was a two hundred ticket deck, you take twenty five thousand and you divide it by two hundred. That means you have one hundred and twenty five hours of play. Which, if you do in four hour sessions, is thirty one sessions in a month of four hours of play. Um, and for, for that day. you ask, "What if I use all my mana hours?" Well, it says right in the FAQ you that you'll have the option to purchase more mana hours, um, but repeated overages could result in cancellation. Uh, so. Yeah, I don't know. I just I want to see someone kind of go through it
3: uh, to kind of see where they're at. It, it needs a real life guinea pig, I think. Yeah, um, I, I think the concept is very interesting. I just I don't think that everything is really fleshed out on being useful for uh the whole market which is why i said i think it's useful for some but um it's not useful for me (laughs) we'll see if it's useful for kyt and i'm not sure doug if you're going to be a user are you going to wait for kyt to give you feedback or not
1: (laughs) no it's just i'm not playing a lot of magic right now but i don't equate this too much to like i can play moto whenever i want whatever i want i look at it as this is the question that i am asking myself is it worth 35 dollars to play mardu vehicles for 71 hours that's the question I'm asking. I'm not, I'm not, what happens if I go, no, no. The question is just, this is what I get, 71 hours. That's what I'm paying for. I'm not paying for this unlimited subscription, so I won't be foaming at the mouth when I'm out of time because I paid for 71 hours for $35, right? Does that kind of make sense? That's kind of my thought with this whole thing.
3: I actually don't know if 71 hours is a good deal or not.
1: Yeah, and if you go with gold, you get 60,000 man-hours. For $60! These numbers
3: are killing me. <laughs> you know what you could do? You could just like not play Moto for That's two months. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And then you could just have $120 lying around and then like mostly buy into a Tier 1 deck, probably, and just have it,
1: I guess. No, you I build up 350 tickets. You have zero tickets, Doug? Like, what are you doing? Just this is the point. This tickets? literally is yeah. not the point that I'm making right now. Is You're what drafting I have. too much. We're talking about this service for other players (laughs) who want to get into constructed or practice constructed, grow in their constructed. This isn't just the Us3 show. This is First Strike. I don't know if you remember what podcast you're on right now. (laughs) We're we're on the Yolo with Rolo show, (laughs) I thought. We're trying to bring the competitive perspective (laughs) to people to educate them. And I think that this is a valid service for people who want to take a look at. You know, that transition from paper to moto and for like a $70 investment, they can spend two months and 140 hours, 142 hours on moto with Mardu vehicles. That's a pretty sweet deal. I don't know. Like I'm honestly, I think this is a good, um, I want people to try idea.
3: it out. I, I'm just not. This, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> that's that's
1: okay. It can be one of those things like F and M promos where I, I feel like I have Brian here on my shoulder to just tell you it's not for you. It can be a good thing. <laughs> Even if it's not for you,
3: if anyone wants to borrow this deck at the same rate, I I could probably do that too. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know, how many amount of hours do I get, bro? And same, everything's the same. But you know, I'll give you some advice here and there.
0: <laughs> I think it's it's kind of cool. uh, maybe Doug had already mentioned it. I think I'm all the numbers is me. They're just simple. It's just a, I know it's a simple calculation, but I understand why why they did it that way because. <clears throat> Like you said, Doug, they're trying to keep uh, f- a play set for every two accounts, so it, it sort of makes sense that it takes more, it- there's more incentives to go to the cheaper decks to to use up less uh, mana hours because they're they're less in demand those cards, so that helps the entire system make sure that those high-demand cards uh, are brought back because they're going to use up a ton of mana hours. So I- I'm going to try this out. I wonder, yeah. wait, I have a... One more point, actually, I just thought about. I wonder if, like, if this
3: really takes off, if this kind of, like, screw starts screwing with the moto economy, right? Because now this spot site or botnet has to, like, have a copy, like, all these copies of everything, right? So they're just going to, like, pr- for every user, they say they're going to have – sorry, for every uh, two users, they're going to have one playset set of standard. So that means, like, for everyone that signs up, they need to make, like, a pretty hefty investment, right, uh, on their end. Um And I wonder at some point if they hit a critical mass where, like, they actually start impacting the price of (laughs) cards because, like, their demand for standard, like, if they just have a user base of 500 people, for example, then they're just looking at buying, like, 250 play sets of of standard. Like, each time a new set comes out, right, they're going to want to get all those cards right away, obviously, because they're going to want to be able to provide their service to their customers. So I just wonder what's going to happen there. It's going to be interesting. Uh, actually, And I also wonder, like, when a new set's released, like, how quickly they're actually going to be able to fill up their... Cause stuff stuff gets really ridiculous when the set first uh, launches. Sometimes it's, like, very hard to find things. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to be watching it anyways. We'll see how, how the story uh, unfolds. It could be Booker Trade, or it
1: could be something great. We'll see. <laughs> I will just say one thing I just read that might... <laughs> might topple the house of cards a little bit here. I noticed it said the starting limit will be determined after PayPal verification. And this is talking about the maximum value that you can have. And then I noticed it says starting monthly limit is between 35 to 350 ticks. And then it says you, you get a monthly increase based on your tier. So I think like if you just buy into this, there's a chance you just don't get that 350 value in the first month. You might have to build like, Oh, that's how they justify buying all these cards because they like have already pulled
3: you in for four (laughs) hundred dollars. (laughs) So
1: yeah, uh, be be wary.
3: Oh man, you shouldn't have told KYT. You would have got bought in, and that would have been like next week's episode. Red,
1: red green energy.
0: Red, green energy is all gonna play.
1: I clicked the button to like go through the process a little bit more to actually like sign up, but uh, yeah, there you go.
0: I gotta shout out my man Doug Strong because he he made he made a comment that made me laugh. He's like, "Question is Doug available for after hours hour calculations?" And I just imagine us releasing like a premium YouTube video of Doug with like this whiteboard.
1: What? <laughs> If you're in the first strike nation, you can call on me for man hour calculations whenever you want. I'll be here for you. I will. I will make graphs. I can even make a spreadsheet that does it automatically. You just plug in some numbers, and it just like a, a color pie chart man hour breakdown.
0: <laughs> oh, I think we had just one question that I saw. So before we end the show, we're gonna. Ask Cole Clark's question for Rapid Fire, which is, uh, Rob, is there, Rob and Doug, we'll start with you, Rob, because you've been grinding this format. Is there too much main, how much main deck artifact hate is reasonable? Clear at the RPTQ, we've got a judge call three rounds in a row for main deck, release the Gremlins, which is pretty reasonable if all you expect is Mardu. <laughs>
3: um. I, it was probably like one of those decisions. Like in an RPTQ, you can do things like walk in, look to your left, look to your right, and be like, "Yeah, I guess you're coming into the main, buddy," <laughs> which I've seen lots of people do. Right, or they they kind of look around, and they see like a couple marvels, and they're like, "Oh, I need." I need to deck and stone it or Stasis there on my sideboard or something like that. I should, I I wasn't ready for that. I should be maybe more prepared. Right. They kind of look at what the good players are playing Um, or maybe like the four guys, you know, like, I don't know if they know each other as well, but if they all knew that each other was on Mardu, then it's very likely that they're like, okay, well, you know, the other three guys are the guys that I really need to probably beat to, to qualify. Um, So I'm fine taking like a 3% hit, you know, in random matchups to gain myself like a, 3% edge in the matchups where I think it's going to matter. So um, at a small event like that where you can really metagame, I think it probably makes sense, right? Especially if you think the field's going to be top 8 all Mardu or whatever. (laughs) But... um, It was! It was! (laughs) I I mean, even if you're playing online, like I've played in leagues where I've played Mardu five times in a row. I've I've played in leagues multiple times where I've played Mardu five times in a row. Did I put a release in my main deck? Uh, No, I didn't. (laughs) But... (laughs) It was probably pretty close. I I, I've seen like the um, teamer energy deck playing like a natural obsolescence. A one of uh, in the main, it seems fine. Um, I don't know if they're going to switch to release in the main too. Instead, I'm not really sure. Like if they're really scared of scrap scoundrel, they just kind of want like an answer to stuff at instant speed. But I don't know. I think it's fine. I think it's fine to play a release. It's not that low value, especially if you're playing Mardu. Right, you can like dunk a couple clues and, and hit a hit a ballista and sack it or like hit a clue and sack it or something like that. So you still yeah. get it. You know, it's not like dead. Right. But it's not great, obviously. So I, I think it's fine. Maybe I might be there for New Jersey. We'll see. That,
0: that's <laughs> I wanted to ask you like zero chance in your in your brew brewing that you would get it in
3: there. I'm trying to um, uh, take the route right now in testing to make a deck that's good against release. Instead of playing a deck that has a lot of releases, um, just because I think that the people sideboard plans are going to tend towards that, they're going to bring in a bunch of releases, side out a bunch of a uh, bad artifacts because like the artifact hate like just release is just so great <laughs> against martyr when they hit like a heart and a scrap heap scrounger you just you feel so blown out right or or like if if they get a heart and a harvester you just like you're dead <laughs> it's, it's a game so I, I want to be good against release instead of trying to abuse it um, as kind of my default stance. Anyways, I don't know. We'll see how tonight's testing goes, whether or not I still have that conclusion tomorrow.
0: <laughs> all right. I love it. Doug is continuing this conversation. I think it's a great topic. That's why we brought it off. We're not paid by these mana traders, mana hours dudes at all. It's just a great topic that uh, Dagger 4 brought to the table.
1: Yeah. And I'm just going to also say for Rob's no, a partner, on they, okay? they put out an article, lie. they put out an article on their website today. It's a weekly one. It's called Forging the Frontier. So these people are all over Frontier as well. So <laughs> traders knows where it's at. No, but uh, I just wanted to kind of comment on what you were. Uh, I'm joking. If people, uh, I'm being sarcastic. Um, yeah, with the whole main deck release, the Gremlins thing, I think that RPTQ, live RPTQ metagaming is a real thing. And before the last round last season, I made a big post because I wasn't like playing a ton of magic, but I've been to the Pro Tour and I kind of knew the metagame. And I made this big post in our uh there's a group of Edmonton players that just are competitive Chantels in it like we're that's the card store that she was at, Star Lotus Games. And uh and it was basically like this big long post of the RPTQ metagame and what type of players are likely to be in an PG2Q and where those type of players brains are usually at like the guys who randomly spike limited tournaments who are just going to pick up the easiest to play deck and yada 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 so i think there are lots of levels to metagaming in RPQs and that could lead to things like um main deck release the gremlins because if you're anticipating your PG2Q metagame to be heavily um you know, vehicles, which clearly it was in Montreal, you're gonna to want to make adjustments. So I think if you want to be a successful RPTQ player, you should be thinking about stuff like that and not just looking at what happened at the GP. You want to take that and you want to apply a little bit of logic of how are the other players like yourself or that are slightly different that have queued for this going to interpret that. That's kind of the the next step that for RPTQs you definitely can do when there's only like twenty, thirty players there. Yeah.
0: All right. I think uh, that does it for this episode. I mean, this episode, as I talked about uh, at the very beginning, this episode and future episodes wouldn't be possible without the people sponsoring our Patreon. So big shout-outs to our – I mean, I can't believe it filled, and you guys know who you are, our uh, First Strike producers, and, the, and especially Derek Pike and Adrian Murchison. Like, the, these guys are – Awesome. I actually asked Rob how to how to spell how to pronounce Ginger's last name and thank God I didn't go with Derek uh, Petey there. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys so much. Like you guys like it means the world to me and to us to be able to continue the show. And uh as for uh why I lost in the finals, I just did. I lost to do another copy of the best deck in the format. And so with that, we will see you next week for uh, week number 17, where we will surely talk about, hopefully, Rob's GP succeeding. win. Rob well, GP win. Hopefully, Rob's GP win. <laughs> beating, me, beating me in the finals. I mean, that would be uh, – I would take that any day, um, being another victim of Rob's uh, GP winning ways. Um, and we'll talk a lot about GP New Jersey, and you know, it will be the day right after my birthday. So come in. Wish me happy birthday like we were wishing Doug once again. Happy birthday, Doug. Hope you have a great one. And uh, we'll see you next week.
1: Thank you. Bye, everyone. Okay.